Welcome to the One Player Podcast, the show on solitaire board games. I'm your host, Albert, and this is episode 150. Yeah! Fishing and building fishing buildings in old Norway. What? <laughs> Julius, how are you doing? You make my head hurt, Albert. <laughs> Welcome back, Julius. Hi, hey, Albert. That last episode was really good. I really enjoyed it. But let me tell you, when when you dumped me in that in that uh, pool of water, that dark, dark pool, that was terrifying. Did you enjoy your swim? I did. You know, it was fine. And then I got attacked by some sort of giant monster with this <laughs> plasticky skin. And it wrapped its tentacles around me. And it just stared at me. It was terrified. I defeated it. I killed it, and it was fine. And it said, you will correct your errors and play Arkham Horror. <laughs> no, but when I killed it, it started saying, Well, I'm glad you've gotten over all of your fears, and you're ready to confront some nice, gentle fish instead of facing the mythos that is trying to take <laughs> over our world. Yeah, that's right. So today, we're going to talk about fishing. But first, I want to talk about a couple other games that I've so, had the chance to play. Okay. Oh. What have you been playing? Well, one, did you know that there was a new set of Unlock games that came out? Uh, I've gotten one recently that's sort of like set in the um, Nautilus. Yes, the, that was from the okay. second set of Unlock games. For those that aren't familiar with it, they're escape room in a box type games. That These are puzzle games that they are once and done games. You play through them, go through the puzzles, and you're trying to escape another hour. You can play it by yourself or with friends. Uh, both are a lot of fun, especially for the Unlock games. The Unlock games don't have any writing or destruction of components. So theoretically, after you finish it, you can pack up the deck and send it on to the next person. And I have most of my collection of unlock games actually loaned out to people doing just that right now. Oh, well, okay. Um, have you played a lot of them? I've played there's all what, of the now? unlock. Uh, there's nine now. I've played the first six, and now there's the new series of unlock games that just came out. Uh, and so they have a new set of themes. And actually, I found it funny. I didn't even know about the fourth set. But when I pulled open the app to start up the third set, so then it says, hey, did you did you know there's a fourth one that's coming out? I'm like, oh, really? <laughs> oh, cool. Uh, so that was, I guess, their way of announcing that. But the third set has three ones. So there's the return of Professor Noside, who's the guy from Squeak and Sausage. And then there's a train adventure. And then there's the Wizard cool. of Oz, where you go through the Wizard of Oz story, essentially. Oh, really? Yeah. That's cool. And I found it funny. Like, at one point in time, I'm going to give a small spoiler. If you haven't read The Wizard of Oz, stop listening now. I also really <laughs> question how many people haven't read The Wizard of Oz. But if you haven't read The Wizard of Oz, you get up to it. And at one point in time, it's like, are you ready to defeat the witch? What do you want to use to defeat the witch? And with unlocks, there's this normal take a red item and a blue item and mash them together to potentially do something. So the witch is a blue item. Plug a red item in her and see if you get a solution. Well, Albert, what do you want to use on the witch to defeat her? A bucket of water? A bucket of water, exactly. So you have your option. You can use fire. You can use a knitting needle. You can use a bucket of water. And I'm like, if you haven't read the story and you're up to this point in time, there's no hints. There's no, there's no 
nothing telling you which one of these to do. And are they just trying to say, hey, you, you better have read the story at this point in time. There's nothing else to it. <laughs> but if you've read the story, it's like super obvious. You, you grab the bucket of water. Oh, so it's really a non-puzzle. It's just a little. It's it's a check to make pause. sure you read the book. Yeah, <laughs> make sure you read the book before you. Or seen the movie. Or seen the movie. Yeah, I've never. I've, yeah, either one will work. But yeah, anyway, it was really fun. I really liked going through that new unlock. Um, definitely one of my favorites so far. And yeah, these unlocks keep getting better and better. I'll definitely report back once I played the other two new ones. Neat. You know, Wizard of Oz was in the news today, actually. The 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 act one of the actors that played one of the the Munchkins the little people the the last living one passed away last month mm-hmm. so that movie's he was ninety eight that movie's been out for a while <laughs> you know you you forget how old it is but yeah so that's what you've been playing or about to play a little bit of both uh both a little bit of both another game that I'm yeah. hopefully about to play whenever it gets out. Um, have you heard of the new Heroes of Terranoth game? Mm, I, no, what is it? I've heard the title. Well, are you familiar with the Terranoth realm in mm-hmm, fantasy yep. flight games? So that's yep. their high fantasy realm, which currently is really kind of generic high fantasy. There's not really enough story out there. There's demand for the Arkham Horror novellas. I fully expect that at one point in time, there's going to be Terranoth novellas. Nonetheless, it, Mm-hmm. And this is the, uh, the uh, Rune Age and, and all those games. Right. And, and everything high Rune fantasy they that. do, I think, is, is after that. I think Descent also may be in Terranoth. So. Mm-hmm. Right. It is, yeah. And it's just, it's, to my eyes, it's generic high fantasy, but as long as the game's okay, I've got no problem with being generic high fantasy. Nonetheless, Heroes of Terranoth, are you, do you remember Warhammer Quest, the adventure card game? Mm-hmm. Yep. So this was a game that we reviewed, and I really liked it. I had played through it a bunch of times. The biggest problem for me was that, well, Fantasy Flight had the license to it, and had the license to continue publishing it, but when their deal with Games Workshop fell through, so they lost the Warhammer Quest license, which meant that they couldn't continue to publish Warhammer Quest, a bunch of card game, or any more scenarios or expansions, which means that you were stuck with the original single campaign that they had. And if you'd happen to buy one of the expansion packs that came there out. There was still no extra been. campaigns with those expansion packs. Those no. were heroes only. And I did get yep. both of those because I really liked the game. But there was still no extra campaigns. So I had definitely played through that campaign uh, a lot of times. But I played through that content enough that I was pretty much done with that content. So they are now redoing the adventure card game. It seems... Almost identical. I think the only thing they changed <laughs> is that you now have this class system for your heroes that I, I'm not sure I, I'm not sure I exactly understand how it's working, but you have four classes. You have the healer, warrior, mage, and scout. I, to my understanding of how this works. And so you pick a hero and then you pick a class or something along those lines. So it gives you a bit more interplay with how you set up your characters, which for the first one you didn't have. I'm going to reserve judgment on this. I, I've i been seeing the designers talking about this and how it works on various places. I haven't seen really a clear explanation of this yet. I, I, I question if it's better or worse this way. I think the designers are saying it's better. I guess we'll see once we get it. But I'm really, really excited for this because I liked 
Warhammer Quest Dimension card game. I was sad when they had to stop developing content for it. And I expect this is going to see more content if it sells well, and hopefully it will. Mm-hmm. That's cool. That's very cool. Yeah, I'd never played the game. I was kind of curious about it, and then they said, oh, it's dead. So it's I, gone. <laughs> so I lost interest. So that's nice that it's back in some form. Um, it, Do you know if it's going to be compatible with the original game? I don't have any information on that right now. I assume, I mean, it looks all the same, but I have no idea how you would make it compatible. When you set up a campaign, when you set up a quest, it tells you which monsters and things to use, and it's never going to reference something that was in the old game. But you might be able to use your old heroes, maybe. Yeah, we'll have to wait and see. Nope, no yeah. speculating is there. So, I saw that that uh, fantasy, different subject here. I'm going to move on. Sorry. Um, that uh, Fantasy Flight has re- is releasing a novel called The Deep Gate, set in the Arkham Horror universe. Um, Are you going to get never that? Never mind my bitterness about it's it. Getting- well, here's the thing about <laughs> those novels. They're expensive. Yeah. And I would really like to get one, but they're very expensive. So far, I've had the pleasure of being able to borrow copies from friends around here. And I, I've, mm-hmm. I'm very thankful for it. I haven't yet actually purchased any of them, but I really like reading them and I like playing with the cards. So at one point in time, if I'm just borrowing them, I should probably just buy them to add to the collection when I have everything else on them. But on the other right. hand, yep. and that's the thing: the the book brings four cards to play with Arkham Horror right. the card game, right? So you, you got to buy the novel to get these. And cards. I like the novels, and the novels are fun to read. But I, I read them, and do I really need to get it? Do I really not? Uh, I would I would like to have them. <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't even have the option because they sell out faster than I could possibly get them. They're all gone. Yeah. Oh, really? You can't find them anywhere. Fantasy Flight apparently underestimated demand for these things, and they aren't available anywhere. Ah, oh, they'll probably print more, though, I'm I sure. I expect at one point in time. Well, and they're expensive, you said. They're, they're $15. It's a hardcover book, which, I mean, is not bad for a hardcover book. It's a small book, hardcover but... book. No, it's not bad for what it is. It's a fine price for what it is. It's a promo thing. Mm-hmm. Like, I would pay, if it were just the cards and they were available on, like, the Board Game Geek store for five bucks, I would probably pay five bucks to get the cards. But I don't really need to pay the extra ten dollars mm-hmm. for the yep. novel. I'm going to read the novel once. But I like the novels. Yep. They're pretty good. And I, I, I continue to read them. So I should probably get them. Yep. It's well produced. It really looks nice. I remember that, um, Wizards of the Coast did the same thing with Magic the Gathering here. I'm sure they've done more than once, but years and years ago. When I used to play, they came out with a novel and it brought it, I think, either brought a card or you had to send out to receive the card in the mail. I don't remember what it was. And I remember them doing that. And I don't remember I ever got it. But it was only a paperback novel, so it was probably like four or five bucks. Not too bad. But it, it's frustrating to have to buy a book to get a card because it's expensive. And you kind of get the feeling that, you know, it's the only reason anybody's buying that. the books in many cases. So it's a, th- so it's a throw. It ends up. I mean, if you have it, you'll probably read it. But in a way, it's a throwaway thing. I think. I, I seem to remember that being the case with Wizards of the Coast. I don't remember liking the the story. I know, at it's all. a hard thing to really judge. I mean, I would get it because I continue to like reading the books. Yeah, you're right. Or reading them at least once. The cards a nice bonus. There you go. I have been playing Dragonfire lately. I got that recently. I've been playing with my son. Uh I don't think I mentioned it last time. We no, because I got I got the game last week. Uh, have you played Dragonfire? I have played it once. 
Okay. Did you play Spellfire before? Was it Spellfire? Not Spellfire. The is based yes. on the. I know. Game I know what you're talking about. It's called Shadowrun Crossfire. Shadowrun Crossfire. Yes. Very very similar game. We covered that years ago. So if you're a long time listener, you may you may remember the game. But it's super similar. The only difference is the D and D setting versus a cyberpunk setting, and there's a few mechanical difference. But but it basically works the same, down to the poorly organized rule books. <laughs> I think honestly, I think the books are, are certainly disorganized. I think they just copied the layout and changed the text and pictures in some cases. Yeah, <laughs> but I am having a lot of fun with the game. My son and I are playing it together, and and this scales better because now you can play two characters instead of having to play four, which is what you used to have to do before. And and there's rules to to deal with that better. And we're having a lot of fun. We're doing terribly, but we're having a good time. I've, I've been thinking about playing it solo, but I haven't yet. Uh, do we have any other... Oh, there is one more piece of news, right? Because this is sort of news and just chat, isn't it? Yeah. The Asmodee recently has announced that they're looking to be bought out. Right? You heard about that? I heard about it, but I didn't really care. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that bothers me. Because, you know, they spend all this time buying all these really good game companies, and now they're going to sell out to whoever buys them. And it annoys me, because you know whoever's going to buy them. Anybody that has that much money... Is either a really big company like Hasbro, a really big game company, that historically has not done a good job of making games, and so it seems likely they will drive it into the someone ground. who's buying their Asmodee is not. I mean, if you're spending that much money to buy it, you're not going to buy it just to tank it. Anybody who's buying it has to be aware that they're buying a hobby game. You'd hope so, yes. <laughs> and the only way to continue to be successful at their investment, the only way to continue to be successful at their investment is to continue to upkeep it and continue producing good things. So theoretically, anyone who's spending that amount of money is going to be intelligent about it and not throw their money away, right? Right. So hopefully, yep. I'm not, I'm just not that concerned. But then if you get investors involved, well, you know what happens is if it's a, game, a company like Hasbro, they already make a ton of money and their history is, you know, buying and making cheap toys and games, and they do just fine with that. They've never needed to branch out and be really, really creative games. Not really. Uh, they're probably not going to be as interested in keeping that business model going forward. They'll take it. They'll make a lot of money from all the existing products and keep selling it. You know, For years from now, we'll be buying Candyland and Catan and all these other titles at Walmart, and they'll start getting cheap like Candyland and quality. But are they going to keep making great games? Hopefully. They'll, they'll have... They'll have the resources, right? Because they're buying these publishing houses that... There's zero way of knowing this one time, especially when all you know is yeah. a rumor mill that somebody that they may want to be purchased. It's, you've got so little to go on that it just doesn't bother me at all. No. No? Okay. I, I don't like it. I, I They said they were doing it, right? It wasn't just a rumor. They said they're, they're looking for a buyer. There's not been any published press release. I thought I Googled it the other day and I saw something. Maybe Maybe I misread the article. I saw it from just on BoardGameGeek. Yeah, and I looked online. Yeah, Reuters, R- Routers, Reuters, whatever it's called. Reuters. Board game company Asmodee Explores Sale Sources. That's the article heading. Asmodee Group, the French maker of board games, Catan, and distributor of Pokemon cards in parts of Europe, is exploring a sale that could value it at more than 1.5 billion euros, $1.7 million, according to people familiar with the matter. The According to people familiar with the matter, that is not an official press release. That is not an official press release. At all. Right. So it's still a rumor, but it is an official rumor. 
It's the official rumor. Why? Because it's on a on another newspaper. Yeah. <laughs> the best known titles the company publishes or distributes include Catan, Ticket to Ride, Splendor, and Star Wars X-wing board games. <laughs> if nothing else, you should be bothered by that. <laughs> that list of no. I'm just bah, kidding. Humbug. Bah, humbug. There you go. Well, it it you know, and I do wonder the people that that sold out to Asmodee and said, "Yeah, we want to be part of you." It sounds great. I wonder how many of them saw this coming and how many are bummed by it. You know, it's all speculation. I know, I know, but it's interesting. So let's talk about something that's more fun to talk about. How's this Newsfjord? Newsfjord, I like this game a lot. This is a fun game. This is a new game by Uwe Rosenberg. Brand new. Brand new. Yeah. It's it came out in Europe, I think, in November, October. So it's been available for a little while somewhere. It just came out in the US in the last month or so, I think. At least I hadn't seen it before. Um it's a it's a fun game. It's you know, if you've played Uwe Rosenberg games in the last ten years, you're very familiar with how it is, the the feel of the game and the the gameplay and all that. Um, the style of the art, all that is super familiar. This game is a—it's a game about building a fishing village in the town of Nusford in northern Norway, about approximately a hundred years ago when it was a big, busy town. Um, neat little game. We have a rubric. I should go look at that because I'm just rambling. I'm a rambling guy. Um, back to the old days. Yeah, it's, 100, it's 150, and Albert's hearkening back for his old stream of conscious type <laughs> podcast. <laughs> and be glad we're not really going there, because oh boy, <laughs> those were interesting shows. Um, so Albert, why don't you go ahead and introduce us with a quick summary of Newsyard? Okay, well, I think I pretty much said it. the su- The summary: build a better fishing village. Right, you're, you're trying to build a fishing village. It is a worker placement game, and. Um, it's it's for one to four players out of the box. The the one player rules are slightly tweaked to, to work as a single player game, but it works. It seems to work well to any player count. At least so far, I've only played one and two. Um, if you're familiar with other games, you're gonna be familiar with this. I think this game takes a lot of little things from other games he's done in the past that all feel familiar mechanically speaking, and in some sense even thematically. So the rules. How about the rules? The, I found them really easy to follow. Very well laid out. You know, again, it's Uwe Rosenberg. It's published by, by Mayfair Games, Lookout Games. All this is very familiar. Um, if you played any of these other games, you're going to jump right in and totally know how to follow this. And that's what I'm finding. You know, at this point, it, you know, it's, it's like reading the 12th novel by your favorite author. It's all very familiar. Um, but they're, they're well laid out. They're, they're pretty brief. This game does not have very complex or deep rules I'd, I'd say it's maybe eight pages maybe ten and light reading it you know why not um they really have gotten good at making rules um boo i i dislike it i the one thing i do dislike is again the solo game is described as changes to how the multiplayer game works so first you learn the multiplayer game and then you can learn how to do the solitaire game because it's just like the multiplayer game, but with these differences. The opinions described by Albert in this setting do not express the opinions of the one-player podcast in general. <laughs> this is a pet peeve of yours, Albert, that I have zero issue with. I really don't. 
I really don't have a passion. You know why? Because you tend to play your games multiplayer as and solitaire. I do. Right? A lot of my games will only ever be played but solitaire, you're, and, unfortunately. And you're complaining that they want to appeal to people who only ever play a game solitaire. Only ever. That That already is becoming a very small... <laughs> it may be yes we don't truly know that though do we but i mean it, it would really be nice if if i had rules i could follow without having to learn the multiple you know the thing is it is really hard well it's not really hard but it is a lot harder as a single person to learn the multiplayer game and play both sides and then convert it than for a person to buy the game learn how to play it solo by themselves first and then learn the changes to play with their friends I mean, mm. it, it's a sense of progression. The first time you play it, you're learning. You're going to play alone anyway. So why not have the solo rules first? Mm. That may <laughs> that may be Albert, but I just don't have that much of an issue with it. That's just the that's just the truth of what it is, you know. Yeah, well, it's because you're not old like me yet. Sorry. When you get to my age, and we'll hear you complaining, you'll start getting crotchety, just like me. <laughs> yeah. The uh, there's a let's see the rules have a little bit of confusion in the solo stuff. Nothing bad. It's easy to figure out. Go to BGG, it'll get resolved. I looked on BGG and I saw people complaining about the confusion. I read through the rules and I didn't notice it when I played it. After I, I read the forms, I was like, oh yeah, what do they really mean here? So, and I don't remember what the word is right now. It's been a few weeks since I've read the rules. I don't remember what the exact issue was and if I had it right or wrong the first mm-hmm. time, but it, you know, wasn't a big deal. Um, it has a rule book and an appendix book. That appendix is really mainly just giving descriptions of all the different cards of what they do. I didn't find it that useful because honestly, a lot of times a description is basically what it says in the card. Sometimes a little bit more, but a lot of times it's just the same thing. Um, you do have to go into it. <laughs> One thing that was annoying is it tells you when you play, oh, if this is the first time you're playing, use the mackerel deck. Right, the mackerel is in type of fish. There's three decks for different types of fish. When you look at the cards, it has a picture of a mackerel. It doesn't tell you it's a mackerel deck, and you you, you have to go to the appendix. And in there, there's a couple different ways to figure it out. So wait, it doesn't have like a starting setup, like the easy mode or something like that. Doesn't tell you anything about it. Like oh yeah, it tells you with... to use the mackerel deck. Oh, but it doesn't tell you what the mackerel deck is. No, not in the. It's a, the way I found is That's I went to the appendix book. And in there, it finally it said, I found a little tiny box of text saying, Mackerel deck is cards number 101 through 150. I don't remember whether two cod or 200 to 250. And the third type of fish is 300 to 350. So, oh, okay. And then I went through the cards, looked at the numbers, flipped it over and saw the picture of the fish on the front. <laughs> nice. You know, it, it wouldn't have taken much to show a picture of the fish in the name somewhere. <laughs> so it's a slight oversight. Um but yeah, and I don't know how much it matters. You know, I'll get into it later. The three decks do feel different, but I don't know that's a huge difference in learning the game. They do just recommend one of them for the beginning. Um, anything else about the rules? The the rules. The game is a beat-your-own-high-score type solitaire game. So they tell you the goal is to get 30 or 40 points. I, had, I did not find that score challenging to reach, honestly. At least not in the basic mode. Uh, when you start adding the some of the tweaks to make it harder, it definitely does become a challenge sometimes. Um, so that's the rules. The theme, um, I mean, it was designed by Uwe, right? So so, 
So the, does the theme really matter? It's, it's farming. <laughs> it's farming somewhere. Congratulations, you're farming. This time we're farming fish. That, that's that's the difference. Um, I mean, it is inconsequential. How you know? However, saying that it the they pick the theme and the art goes with the theme really well, and the game looks really pretty. And even though I know it's the theme is kind of pointless. I enjoyed the theme I was playing the game, and it did give me some sense of what it might be like to live in a remote village fishing. If no reason other than the art, it was, you know, because of that, I enjoyed it. I mean, so, with these, it it doesn't matter. Just because of the thing, it doesn't matter. These themes, there's nothing that makes even you can't have farming feel different. Like you look over at Spirits of the Rice Paddies. There's specific mechanics in there about the the water in the water out mechanics. That even though it's a farming game. There are different mechanics that make sense because it's rice. This, mm-hmm. it's, I mean, it, it could, it could have been cows. It, it could have been corn. It could have, yep. you could have been Indians. It doesn't, you're, there's, you're right. there's nothing in it that says fish. The, yeah, you're right. Though, like you said, there's certain things about it, certain mnemonics, like with the rice patties that, that makes sense because you're, you're farming rice. And so the mechanic makes more sense and it kind of helps you remember the mechanics because you know it's rice. There's some things here that work the same way. I know I have fish and I'm putting them on the plates. So, so it makes sense to me that this is how the plates work because I know that could have been corn and it, it could have been anything, but it could have been any other food. That's have, nothing that makes sense. It, it could have been rice. It could have been absolutely anything. You know, it, it could have been putting blocks somewhere in a factory. But just the fact that there's a theme does help give you help you ground the rules no matter what you know. Um, the th- I'm just saying, there's nothing that says fish. <laughs> the little fish meeples. That's not something. That's there's no mechanic that says fish. <laughs> not really, no, no. Uh, there is fishing in it. You know, at the beginning you have fishing boats, but yeah, again, it, it's a new way game, right? That, that that's all we really had to say. <laughs> Yeah. Um, that be the the art looks great and it matches the theme nicely and, and I love the look of the game and love the look of the theme. Um, so that's a theme. The components, um, as I said, I love I love the look of it. The, the game looks lovely. It's the art is just really nice. I find I personally find it very evocative of the setting. Um. You know, it's got little fish meeples. There's little fishing boats. Um, the art, the cards are interesting. It has a lot of building cards, which I guess might remind people of a game like a uh, La Havre, in which you're buying buildings and, and playing them onto your board or whatever. I've never actually played La Havre, so I don't know how that works. Um, this is similar <laughs> though. You you you're buying building cards and and collecting them. Um, a nice thing about this. The building cards are mostly text. It's very easy to read. It's not that little tiny text. You could read it from a from a comfortable distance easily. It has a picture. Each card has a picture of the buildings, but it's super small in the bottom. <laughs> so it's almost like just a small little silhouette or something. Um, the important part, the text is is big and easy to read. Definitely front and center. So that was nice. Um, th- there's lots of tokens. There's lots of cardboard. Th- there's a a long skinny board that's a table with plates where you place the fish when when you serve fish for dinner to the fishermen. It you know looks neat. So it's got all these components, but again, it's it's Uwe, so it's a big heavy box full of cardboard. That, that's what you and get. wood and some wood. Yes, the fish, the fish are the wood. Uh, that's the only wood in the box. Everything else is cardboard. <laughs> nice fish. It, they are. They're good fish. 
Um, and I think the wood is the same as we've seen from uh, um, Feast for Odin. Is it? Okay. In the rule book, it mentioned thank you to somebody for letting them use their fish. I forget which game they brought the fish from. Oh, really? But they give thanks. <laughs> yeah, that, that was pretty neat. Neat little touch. I should look that up real quick. Uh, yeah, hang on. Well, no, you know what? I'm not going to bother. But I was curious. Go get it. Okay. If you have it right there, I'm curious. Right. I just got to stand up to reach it. And then maybe drop something on my head. Uh, uh. Okay, put my headphones back on. Yeah, here we go. Yeah, right here in the rules it says, Thank you to Hans Ingluck for allowing to use your Carcassonne South Seas fish. <laughs> so not only are these northern codfish, but these are South Seas uh, tropical type fish. <laughs> so that's neat that they, they put that little comment in there. Because, you know, there's a lot of games that borrow components from other games and you never see a mention. So I'm not going to get into all the components, right? It brings lots of cardboard, lots of this, lots of that. It does bring three separate decks of cards for the building cards, the buildings that have fish on the back. I already mentioned that. They, so when you're going to play, you pick which one you want to use. They're each going to have a different feel. I've played with two of them, one with one of them like seven or eight times, with the other one only once. Um, I've not tried the third. They definitely feel very different. They, they totally change how the game plays, um, which is interesting. Uh, so, so since I'm starting to talk about gameplay a little bit, let's, let's go ahead and jump into that, right? This is, this game is relatively light. It's got a lot of stuff, but it, it's not too complex. It's not too hard. I think it reminds me, in terms of complexity, but not at all mechanics or theme, in, it reminds me of Gates of Luoyang, or at the Gates of Luoyang. Um, I've heard a lot of people compare it in complexity to Glass Road also. Really? I've never played that one. I'm interested in it. Oh, really? It? Yeah. You should. There's a lot of his games I haven't played yet. He, There's a lot of his games. He publishes so many games, right? And he's got a, at least another one, if not two, coming out this year. Yeah. It's insane. Um, so, yeah. So it's, so it's not terribly hard, but there is a lot of thinking, a lot of choices to make. And I enjoyed that. Each turn, you're, you're trying to figure out, you know, you got like one of eight or so actions to take from, to pick from. Uh, there's a dozen buildings to buy from, and there's, I'd say, a good four or five systems that you could interact with. That you know, you're gonna have to pick which of these many things do I want to like affect this time. So, so there's definitely a lot of choice, a lot of thinking, and I like that a lot about it. Um, though it is a fast game, I think I could finish a game in, in half an hour or less. It, it goes fast and it feels fast. There's one more piece of wood in the game. It's the little boat, the turn marker. I almost forgot that. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I think it's okay. We'll forgive you. Okay. Um, so yeah, so lots of choices. There's a lot of variety in the ways to score. I have found that I've I've played different strategies, and, and they all seem to do pretty well. You could you could make points by having lots of gold. You can make points by buying lots of buildings or other things, and and they all seem to work pretty well. You know, I could go for for being able to fish fish a lot to get resources to buy more buildings. Or I could choose to to harvest the trees in my woods and do that instead, and, but I, and so on. I think that idea is true of many of Uve's games. What is there something of the gameplay of this game that's really distinct from any of the other Uve games? You know, if you have a lot of his games, you probably don't need another one. Honestly, um, if you're a huge fan of his, yeah, get it. 
Why not? But no, I, I don't think it's extremely distinct. I think it's a very I'm satisfying not, game. I'm not asking you to compare it. I'm not asking you to compare it. Just tell me something that makes it distinct. Oh, this time you're fishing. <laughs> I, I don't know that it makes it any different, but I find it very satisfying, the, the mechanics. Well, you were commenting about how the fish and the serve fish mechanic works. Um, so actually, so that's interesting. The fish mechanic reminds me of Gates of Luoyang specifically. Um, it, it's not implemented the same way, but in this one, when you serve fish, is what I'm talking about, um, there's this long tray of plates. And if you're going to serve fish, on the first plate you could put one fish, on the second you have to put two, on the third you put three, then three again, so on. And you serve as many fish as you want, but each plate you fill will only get you one piece of gold. So so the more you want to fill, the harder it gets, which is the way the scoring mechan- mechanism in Gates of Luoyang works, right? The, if you want to get one point on a turn, it's only going to cost you one gold. Any more points after that costs you points equal to how many you're trying to get. So it's that uh, increasing cost the more you try and do. And is that the only thing so you use th- the fish for? No, that's not the only thing you use the fish for. That's one of the things you could use the fish for. You could also use it to buy buildings, and there's these elders that you could you could buy these elder cards and place them on your board. And you could use the fish to, to feed them also. So there's a few different things. You could also use the fish to buy boats. So yeah, so, so you know, there's a few different ways you could use the fish. And that, that's probably true about all his games. There's always multiple choices to, with what you do with each type of resource that you have in those games. Um, and, and that's what I think makes this game so much fun. You know, I could do a few different things with fish. Um, the logs, there's a few different ways to get the logs and a couple different ways to spend them. The, you know, there's, I could choose to, to get more fish more quickly by building bigger boats, but then I may also need to spend some of my work, my, my very valuable resource, which is a worker placement, right? To, um, uh, make more stock shares, which will let me then collect more of the fish I harvest. I don't know if this is in any of his other games, but I found it really interesting. You could sell shares, you, and, and when you sell a share, if you buy it back yourself, when you gather, collect fish at the beginning of the round, you'll put one fish on each share that you have, that you own of yourselves, plus any of the other shares that you've created that you didn't buy back. So potentially another player could buy your share and start collecting fish from, on your turn. Or if nobody's bought that share, then it'll just be put on the share and, and gone back to the resource pool. So that, that stock, option was neat it's not something i'd seen in one of his games yet um but yeah i it, it it doesn't feel new in terms of mechanics it but it feels very fun to play and very smooth and and all the different pieces fit well together i have seen people complain that oh it's just like all his other games there's nothing new here move on um sure if you have all his other games you probably don't need it if you don't i think this is a really fun one I think at this point, I find it that it would surpass Gates of Luoyang for for a go to fast Uwe game, Uwe game, and I you know so that's my personal opinion. That says a lot there, right? That that's by far that's been my favorite game of his for a long time. For me, I find I play more of his heavier games like um, Feast for Odin more often than I'm playing things like Glass Road, and it doesn't from from my understanding of the game. It doesn't seem like it challenges in complexity to Feast for Odin. And I find that for the Uve games, I tend to either go for the heavier side or the lighter side, like patchwork and that type of things even. 
And the middle ones, I just don't have, I don't have very much and it doesn't get out that often for me. So Mm -hmm. especially how long does it, especially when I hear a lot of people and you also saying that there's nothing really fresh or new, it just doesn't have a lot of draw for me to go pick it up. Now that this is a really new game and I actually don't think anyone local has any copies of it. I wasn't able to actually play any of it, but I, you know, I've looked into it. I've watched some players of it, uh, read the rules and that's what I'm basing my opinion off of. Okay. Yeah. I mean, if you don't have a lot of his games and you want to get one, I think this is, this is a good one to try. If, if it's going to be your first one, I'd say it's a great choice. Um, more so than Gates of Leaning or I suppose I would ask you about Glass Road, but you haven't played it yet. I haven't played it yet. Um, like I said, it plays fast. It's, I could set it up really quick and play the game. You know, I could probably set it up and put it away in 35 minutes and play. I'll set it up, play it, put it away, 35 minutes. And I'm very likely to play the second game. And that experience is going to involve a lot of thinking, a lot of interesting choices to make. Um, so it's a, it's a very deep and satisfying experience, I think, for a quick game. And then Solo how too? Long, how long does... Yes, Solo is about 30 minutes, like that. Okay. Uh, each player you add is going to add probably another 30 minutes. It, it scales well. I didn't really talk about how to play Solo versus multiplayer. Um... What they did here, basically, there is a turn track, and when you're playing solo, you use the the red workers. You know, there's four colors, one per player, or five colors. I think it supports up to five players, actually. Um, No, maybe it's four. Anyway, if you're playing solo on the first round, you'll use the red workers, and then on the second round, you leave the red workers on the board, and I use the blue workers. So now there's already workers on the board blocking spaces. Just so just like if you're playing a multiplayer game, some spaces end up getting blocked, and, and it restricts your choices. Uh, on the third turn, you take your red workers back, and now the blue workers are on the board taking up the spaces on the last turn. So you keep alternating that way, and always getting your way a little bit. That's that's the basic solo game. The If you flip that little turn track board over... It now uses three colors. So your red ones go on the board in the first round, the blue ones in the second. On the third round, you now use the yellow ones, and the red and blue ones are still on the board. So you, you have a lot fewer choices, and it makes makes for more planning and all that. Um, and, you know, once your score is getting really high, switch to this, and you can find it more challenging. The different decks, like I said, they feel different. Um, I guess it doesn't matter if it's multiplayer or solo. The second deck, when I played, the time I played it, it felt like the cards interacted a lot more, and and there's a lot more opportunity for for engine building. And I got a way higher score that time than I did with the first deck, which I found interesting. I haven't tried the third deck yet. You know, I could probably easily get a good thirty games out of this before I feel like I need to go back and start trying things again. Um, and at that point. You might be able to just start mixing your decks together, just see what happens. Just some crazy random deck, <laughs> but I think it'd be a, it'd be a while before you even have to do that. And you know, I have a feeling that may work great sometimes, and terribly the others. You know, like like anything else. But I find what's fun about this game is not so much trying to beat my high score, but just the the pleasure and the process of trying to find a nice set of uh, of moves and and all that to, to get an efficient game going. That just that just fun. It's what else do I have in my notes here? Blah 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 blah. I think that was about it, sir. 
Yeah, that's about it. I mean, I've really enjoyed the game a lot. Look at this, this game. This episode's 20 minutes short, so we're going to have to fill it. You know any good songs? Good night, Albert. <laughs> good night, Julius. Uh, thanks, everyone, and we'll bring back another game next time. <laughs> episode 150. Woohoo! Thanks for listening. We love feedback, so we love hearing from you. You can reach me at Julius at OnePlayerPodcast.com or JLBird on BGG. And Albert can be reached at Albert at OnePlayerPodcast.com or Fractaloon on BGG. Our website is OnePlayerPodcast.com with the number one, and we're also on Twitter at OnePlayerPodcast. The intro music is copyright Angus, can be found at Gemendo.com. The transition music is copyright by Dan Elduce Pancaldi, whose page is at DanPancaldi.com. The One Player Podcast is protected under a Creative Commons share-alike license. Thanks for listening. Fishing and building, fishing buildings in old Norway. What? That's the intro. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. Sure, that's what the game's about. Building, fishing, and building, fishing fish- and building, fishing. <laughs> yes, building, fishing, and building, fishing buildings <laughs> in Norway. <laughs> Makes perfect sense. This is great.